Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Uh, Luke's narrative is beginning to draw down to a close. And um, Paul finds himself in the custody of the Romans. Uh, he has been gone about preaching the, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and the Jews haven't really liked this, the, the Jewish religious leaders. And uh, so they hatched a plot to kill him um, while he was in transportating between two places. And uh, actually they took a vow not to eat or drink until they did, um, which it's not going to turn out well for them because they never end up getting to fulfill their little plot, which is good for Paul. Uh, anyway, ne- Paul's nephew finds out about it and tells the, the, Roman, uh, the Roman guards. And uh, because Paul himself is a Roman citizen, uh, he gets a little bit more protection. And he goes up, ends up going to uh, be in kind of prison at where the governor of the area is. And he stays there for two years. But while he's in prison for this time, for two years, uh, in Caesarea actually, I think, um, he has the opportunity to tell two different governors, uh, Felix and Festus, about the good news about Jesus of Nazareth. And during that whole time, he's, even while he's in prison, he is proclaiming the good news uh, about the things that ultimately have gotten him in trouble and put him in jail in the first place. Well, he, um, he's there for a while, and uh, he has this one little trial, and nothing... None of the charges make any sense against him, uh, the Jewish leaders. There's nothing to keep him in jail, except he, he appeals to the emperor. And this sets him on a course to go to Rome uh, to have a trial before the emperor. Uh, and it's actually going to provide him, in the great scheme of things, lots and lots of opportunity to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ to, well, everybody from, from Israel to Rome and all of the people he meets. And so um, he's there in jail for a while, and, and uh, it's Felix, I think. Felix is the current governor. Festus. Festus. I have a friend who has a donkey whose name is Festus. So I, I can't not think about that. Um, Festus doesn't know what to do with him, and so uh, the king, King Agrippa, is coming to town. And so Festus decides that they're going to have a meeting with Paul and Agrippa to try to decide what they're going to do with him, and what they're going to write to Rome about this man who hasn't done really anything worthy of jail or death. And so they meet together. And so Paul begins to tell, again, in his own defense, for the third time in the book of Acts, uh, the story of, well, his involvement uh, with this new sect of the Jewish faith. Uh, Not yet necessarily considered an entirely new religion, but uh, a branch of the Jewish faith. Well, he's, uh, he gets up, and um, some of this is beforehand, uh, but our passage picks up at, at uh, chapter 9, and let me go here we go, and he's talking about all he was and he's done, and he says this, he says, I indeed myself was convinced that I ought to do many things against the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Um, he is, he is pointing to his zealousness in his current faith, in his, in his Jewish faith. He thought and understood that, that Jesus and all of his followers prevent, presented such a great threat, uh, not just to the Jewish faith, but to the Jewish way of life, uh, that they should be exterminated, uh, that they should be thrown in jail and put down and just the whole thing 
wiped off the map. Um, and, and he is just, he is crazy zealous for what he's going to do. He would go with orders to go get people arrested, and, and he voted to have people put to death via stoning. Now, zeal is kind of a good thing, right? Um, some of you uh, will have zeal for your football team today, right? Uh, you will be excited, and you will, you will wear Chiefs stuff. For those of you who are not a Chiefs fan, I don't really care. Um, but uh, overzealousness, though, you can take good things too far, right? So Josh is a Chiefs fan, and he's got his Chiefs thingy. What is that? Well, he's, uh, the, the face mask thingy. Yeah. And so that's appropriate. He's, he is displaying his team's support. But if he were to come in today all dressed in red and white and like maybe without a shirt on, but he's got painted Mahomes number on his front and his back. And like that would be maybe just a little bit overzealous, right? Sorry if I'm embarrassing you. It's okay. Uh, so overzealousness is, is a little bit of a problem. And Paul, at this point in his life, he is overzealous about defending his faith. And it leads him to do really terrible things. And really, throughout the history of, of man, we have been getting overzealous about our, our faiths. And, and lots of different faiths have do this. We only have to look back, uh, well, not too far in our own history as a country. Like 9-11 is a product of overzealous religiousness. Uh, the Inquisitions were an, a picture of overzealous religiousness. Uh, the Crusades, where we invaded Israel, well, not us, but like Europe did, several times. Overzealous religiousness. And overzealousness has a, has a potential uh, to make us blind to what's really, what's really happening. Because it's based in, in fear and doubt and, and suspicion. And so Paul himself is just completely blind to what it is that, that God is doing all around the world in front of him. He says this towards, towards uh, the middle there. He says, By punishing them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And I, since I so furiously enraged at them, I pursued them even to four, foreign cities. Furiously enraged. Literally, literally translated, it would be that he is insanely angry. Like that he is out of his mind with indignation and and anger. Like just, have you ever been furiously enraged? Those of you who have kids do. Uh, I know. Uh, but this, this is like, this is the thing that blinds him. He is furiously enraged. This is not soft language. This is, he is furiously enraged. Well, for the third time, um, he recounts kind of his conversion story. Now, I, I have a little, Conversion is a, is a nice churchy, churchy word. And uh, we use it to talk about like becoming a follower of Christ. So you can convert to Christianity. Uh, you can convert to Judaism, really. I mean, but it's, it's like taking on a religion of your own is really kind of how we, how we use it. But for today, it's, it's beginning to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, uh, Paul and his companions, he saw at this particular point 
They are on the road to Damascus with letters to do harm to those who are following Jesus Christ. And they're walking along, and all of a sudden, a bright light shines in the middle of the road. And out of it, we have, we have a voice speaking, and it says, uh, well, it, it knocked them all to the ground. By the way, a lot of people assume that Paul is on a horse here. And I've heard so many sermons where the preacher says that Paul gets knocked off his horse. It doesn't say that. He wouldn't have been riding a horse. That was for rich people. Paul wasn't necessarily. If anything, it was a donkey, but he didn't have a donkey either. Uh, when they all fall into the ground, uh, to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It hurts you to kick against the goads. Now, anytime, anytime in Scripture that you hear God call someone's name twice in succession. We saw it last week with Samuel, right? Anytime you hear God call a person's name twice in, succe- in succession, you know that the course of that person's life is going to drastically change. Uh, Abraham, same thing. Uh, Paul, Samuel, all of those people. Why are you persecuting me? He doesn't even know. Paul doesn't even know what he's doing. He's so blind because of his, well, his furiously enragement. It hurts you to kick against the goads. Now, that's, a, that's kind of a funny expression. And uh, there it is. That's a goad. Uh, it is, it's an instrument uh, to make animals do what you want them to do. And so these folks are plowing a field, and uh, I think that's a lady. Who knows? Um, is poking the, uh, poking the ox there to, to, to get going. And actually, um, one commentator I read said that uh, a goad, this phrase, kick against the goads, was common in Greek literature at the time. And uh, so he's playing to his, uh, his crowd here. And, and it meant to, to fight against a larger force, uh, to, to fight against a power that was greater than your own. And so... God's saying, why are, you, why are you kicking against the goads? It hurts you. It hurts you to kick against what I am doing. Well, uh, he, he, he asked this voice. He's like, who, who are you? Like, he doesn't know what's happening, right? And uh, so God comes back and says, you know, I'm, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are the persecuting. And... Uh, I think the fact that he doesn't know who is speaking to him uh, points to the fact that he is completely blind and unaware of what's happening. He's blinded by his rage, by his fear that, well, that, that something is going to put in danger his faith and his very way of life. Anyway, um, sorry. Okay, so Jesus, Jesus ends up commanding Paul to get to his feet. Right? That's what happens in this. And he tells him to go. He's like, this is what I'm going to do to you or for you. This is what you are going to do. And uh, he's, he's commissioning him. Okay, this is what I think is important here. Sorry for my, 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 mental, my mental lapse there. Um, every time, every time, someone is converted. Like every time someone encounters Christ and begins to follow Christ, uh, it, is, it is not just that they are going to become a Christian and reorder their life into good, moral, and ethical order. 
every uh, conversion has with it simultaneously a commission. A commission. So to go and to go do something. Uh, in the way like a, a wealthy patron might commission an artist to paint a painting, Paul is, is then commanded. He, he said, this is what you are going to do for me. And he says this, God says this. You're going to open their eyes, talking about the Gentiles, so they may turn from the darkness to the light and from the power of Satan to God, so they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified, sanctified by faith in me. Now, this, this is kind of important. He is sending Paul out on a mission. He's changing his mission, rather from, from persecuting the Christian faith to being part of, part of its building and part of its uh, growth. Uh, now, mind you, this is, not, this is not a promotion for Paul. Uh, Paul is going from a person of respect and authority who is the one who is inflicting harm upon those who don't believe like him uh, to being the one on whom pain is inflicted. So he's, he's going from strong to weak. And this is kind of, well, this is kind of the whole narrative arc of the Bible. Jesus goes from in heaven with all the comforts of heaven to become like one of us to die on the cross. Uh, in fact, if, you're, if you've paid attention to the books of, book of Acts up to this point, you will see over and over and over again just how much Paul has to suffer in, well, for the sake of this job that God has given him, this commission. Uh, in fact, we've we just finished reading uh, the book of Acts as a family, and our oldest son uh, summarized the entire uh, Paul's entire narrative arc within uh, within the book of Acts, and it goes like this. Paul goes to a town, he preaches. A, a ruckus or a riot ensues, and people get really upset. Uh, Paul either gets beaten or stoned and or arrested. He gets arrested, he gets thrown in jail, God rescues him, he gets out, and then rinse and repeat. It just keeps happening over and over and over again. This is, this is Paul's life. He is going from power to powerlessness. Uh, from being uh, the persecutor to being the persecuted. We'll come back to that in, in a little bit. But we, we see this here. And uh, this actually, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, it sounds a whole lot like Isaiah 42, which is, which is this. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, Prisoners, those who sit in darkness. Now, if if you've read Luke's first book, the book of Luke, like this passage is what Jesus reads from when he first begins his his earthly mission, uh, when he's in the synagogue and before he goes out and begins to do all of the great things that he does, the healing, the preaching, uh, the restoration that Jesus does, he's. He reads this and he says, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Like, I am the one, Jesus says, who is going to fulfill this. I think Luke here wants us to know that this mission, this commission that Paul has received, is, is a continuation of Jesus' mission to the world. That to what God is calling Paul, God has already begun through Jesus Christ. 
And it is a mission of forgiveness. It's a mission of covenant and opening the eyes of the blind, of healing, of restoration. And ultimately, we believe like the restoration of all things, making all things new. Well, he ends up his address, and uh, he's happy that King Agrippa has been there because King Agrippa kind of knows the Jewish faith a little bit. Agrippa says, hey, uh, I think you're crazy, basically. He says, too much learning has made you mad. And uh, Festus and Agrippa get together, and they're like, he hasn't done anything. Uh, Too bad he appealed to the emperor. We would have let him go otherwise. Uh, There the narrative ends, uh, at least for us, and Paul ends up going on to Rome, and there's a little bit more of that in, in Acts. I think that Luke's account, third account anyway, of Paul's conversion and his commissioning, revealed to us a couple of things. First thing I think it reveals to us is that when we become zealous about our faith, that we run the risk of losing our spiritual eyesight. When we begin to believe that there are, well, when we're too afraid, that there are people out there who are a threat to our faith or who might change our way of life as Christians. And we get blinded by fear. And it it, it calls us and, and forces us maybe to do things that we wouldn't normally do. Uh, to, to think, and none of you are going to go out there and throw anybody in jail or have anybody stoned to death. But I think it's a good warning for us. Like, there are people out there telling us, I think, that you need to be afraid of an entire group of people because they are going to, they are a threat to the Christian way of life. And and maybe they're a little overzealous in their defense of the faith. But I think they're blind. I think they've been blinded by, well, that fear and they're not seeing what God is doing or what God wants to do or well, or what God is calling us to do in the midst of that chaos. One of the things that Jesus says, well, I, when he's talking to Paul, and I missed this when we first went through it, I, I think the whole kicking against the goads thing, like we use that imagery, if Paul, if we are the ox, and Jesus is the farmer with the goad, that kicking against the goad is actually working against what God is doing in the world. That in being so focused on other folks who we might perceive as a threat, we're actually not doing what God wants us to do. Does that make any kind of sense? When we think we know what's best, we miss what God is doing. Well, how, how can we be zealous about our faith and not succumb to the fear which leads to, uh, well, to this blindness? I think a couple things. First, I think we've got to confess our weakness. Our weakness that we constantly want to be in control of the situation. Uh, I think one of our first impulses when we are afraid is to try to control the things that we can control. 
And when we find out we can't, we try even harder. And we do maybe even worse things. I don't know. We've got to gather together in community to read scripture and discern the movement of the Spirit in our midst. I've been saying this a lot, and it's because it's what we need. It's what I feel like we have to do. Uh, that as Christians, as individuals, as Christians, as a, as a community of faith, that we will not be able to do anything well unless we have spent time alone and together reading the scriptures and asking, what is it that God is calling us to? Uh, to read the scriptures and to ask, is what I'm doing, is my posture towards the world right now helping me to love my neighbor as myself? Is my posture towards the world, is the things that I'm doing right now, is it helping my neighbor love God and their neighbors with everything that they have? Or maybe to phrase it a little bit different, in the midst of the chaotic disruption that is our world right now, question we need to be asking is, where is the opportunity for us to love our neighbor as ourselves? I think the second thing that Paul's encounter reinforces for us is that our conversions are never just conversions. They were always commissionings. Uh, a long time ago, I began, became entirely convinced that we are not Christian for our own sake. Christianity is not just divine fire insurance. It's not even just about your personal healing. I mean, those are all things. I believe wholeheartedly that when we decide to follow Jesus, that like there are some significant benefits, I think, that we receive. Eternal ones. But the more I have spent time in Scripture, the more I have thought and prayed and talked with people, the more I'm convinced that you are a Christian for the sake of the person sitting beside you. At work, at home, at the Chiefs game. That Paul, Paul's converted, not, not just so he'll stop being a pain in the rear end to the Christians, but so that he will give his life in faithful service so that others may too become children of God. Now, uh, I think our conversion and commissioning is no different than Paul's. Now, I don't know any of you that have seen a bright light and had God call your name twice and knock you over. If you have, I want to hear about it. But I know that it doesn't have to be that spectacular. I know that when God calls your name and you say yes, he said, stop working against me. Let's get on team Jesus. And I have a job for you. Now sometimes that job comes out really explicitly like it does with Paul, right? Like sometimes you just know what you're supposed to do. And other times I think it takes a long time to begin to discern what that is and we can only ever do that as we sit with scripture with each other as we pray 
as we talk. That's kind of why it's so important for our kids to begin to do that now. The, the sooner we can help them hear the voice of God, the sooner they can tell us, this is what God is calling me to. This is what God is calling us to. And if you've ever had a child that really wants to do something, you know how persuasive that can be in good and bad ways. By the way, I think um, baptism, so when Easter Sunday will hopefully baptize someone. I think that's kind of what's happening in that moment. There's, it's not magical, of course, but there's, there's something deep and mysterious happens as you go under the water and, and you say, I am no longer going to kick against the goads. I'm no longer going to be scared or afraid. I'm no longer going to live just for myself. All that goes under the water and dies and is washed away. And we come up out of the water and God says to us, this is my child in whom I am well pleased. Go. I hope, um, I hope that we can, we can do all those things. Um, The last thing I think that this, passage reminds us of, or helps us to know, is to be able to articulate the reason for the hope that we have. Uh, The reason for the commission that we have been given as followers of Jesus Christ, that we may be able to stand up like Paul and say, hey, this is what happened to me. Uh, Now, I want to be careful here, because I think, I think, Paul's entire life is maybe instructful for us. And Paul's attitude and posture towards the world before the whole Damascus Road thing was one of, one of defense. It, it, it was one of uh, hostility. And I think if we look at his life afterwards, like certainly Paul knew and understood what was happening. But his posture had changed. It wasn't defensive. It didn't beat people over the head. But it was a posture of openness and vulnerability that proclaims this is the message of Jesus Christ. I'm going to proclaim it and I'm going to live it. And you can do what you want to me, but Jesus Christ is Lord. And, well, that's what matters. I hope that as a community of faith, well, (laughs) I said a while ago, um, a couple couple months ago, that Jesus didn't need defending. Like some people are all about that, like apologetics, and, and that's not bad. I want you to know what our faith is, but I, I want you to have that open stance towards the world that Jesus is okay. He created the world. He sustains it. Uh, he said the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. So that's cool. We are not to be defenders. We are not to be furiously enraged at those who might pose a threat to Christianity or a Christian way of life. We are to be open and to love so that we might see and know together what it is that God is calling us to.
that's, a, that's my hope for my own life. That's my hope for us as we, as we read Scripture together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, so much good is in this story. Um, and you used, you used Paul in such an amazing way uh, that you turned someone who was just so adamantly opposed to what you were doing. Even though he should have known better because he came up with all of the religious knowledge that, that pointed the way to you. blows my mind that you were able to to use Paul in the way that you did. That you broke through his spiritual blindness, his rage, his fear. That you didn't just like make him neutral or keep him from hurting the church, but that you actively called him to be a leader in it. Lord, I hope that you will that you will deal with us in the same way. That if and when we become spiritually blind, that we are blinded by fear or maybe overzealousness for your name. That you might remind us. That you might call our name twice and ask us why we're kicking against the goads. that you would help us to turn turn from the direction that we're going and turn towards you so that we might fulfill the commission that you have for us, the job that you have placed us here on earth to do, which is at the very root of it, loving you with all that we are and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Or we, we are lost on how to do that sometimes. And so we ask that you would help us to discern that are in our quiet moments of prayer that you might speak to us. That in our time spent chewing on your word, reading it and meditating on it, you might speak to us. That in our times when we gather together to discuss what your word says, that you would speak to us. That when we gather together to hear your word proclaimed like we have this morning, that you would speak to us. And that in each and every one of those situations that you might, well, that we might have ears to hear what you're saying and then the courage to go and do it. Lord, I know we want to do the right thing. Help us to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.